Hey, Jailbirds! Welcome back to Jailbird Chronicles. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany, and we're two forensic social workers getting chatty about criminal justice. Jailbird Chronicles. When people go into jails or prisons, there's that disconnect from not only the community, but from their families. And especially when people are spending extended amount amounts of time in jail or sentenced to long periods of time in prison or even life, um, for the people who really valued their family and those connections that they had, it's kind of like from what I can imagine and from what some of the people I've worked with who are incarcerated have told me, it's like everything in life just keeps going and they're kind of just stuck in this place, stagnant, stuck where they left everything off, but everything with their family keeps moving and life moves on without them. Yeah. I've also, um, we used to talk about it a lot with, um, I used to work with patients and clients that I met incarcerated and followed into the community. And we used to talk about how, like, when you get locked up, your family kind of does the time with you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a different kind of time, but they're just as locked up to an extent as the guys that are locked up. So this, this topic kind of sparked my interest a little more after I saw an Instagram post from God Behind Bars on Instagram, and they were showing video of incarcerated people in a maximum security prison who had been sentenced to life. They were able to see their kids for Christmas. Some of the kids had never even seen, hugged, or spent a Christmas with their fathers before. And I was looking through their Instagram a little bit more and saw that through a fundraiser, they were able to reunite 16 families um, for Christmas so that um, children could see their fathers for the holiday. It makes me so happy. It's really amazing because I've seen it happen before. It's really amazing to see some of these guys like just be dads. Mm-hmm. Like the most simple of things in a way, but not the most simple of things. And watching them just get to be a parent and love this like small child. It's an experience, honestly, to witness both in video and in person. Yeah. And especially in watching the post that I saw from God Behind Bars, um, it really humanizes these people it puts faces to what we're calling whether you call them inmates or patients or people who are incarcerated or detainees whatever you call them it's still not really humanizing them as individuals so to actually see people being recorded one by one coming outside and then seeing their children and running up to them and being able to give them a hug it was really heartwarming for me to see that. And, you know, I can't imagine what those families were feeling having probably not been able to either ever have that experience or 
haven't been able to have that experience since that individual was out in the community. Yeah. And so um, Brittany knows how long and all the different positions I've held on Rikers. But when I was an intern, I ran a fathering program with a few of my patients. And the reward for completing the program was a pizza party as well as an extra visit outside of the normal visits. And it was an extended visit. So the guys could have their children come, their significant others. And one of my patients, his son, and watching them interact and watching him just hug his son because it was way more of a contact visit. It was just like I close my eyes and I can still kind of see it. And it was just it was an amazing moment. It's really you're right. It humanizes them and it gives it makes you realize if you've never thought about it how actually human these guys are that with family members who are open to a relationship with them not everyone has children who are open to continuing a relationship with them in august 2018 new york city city council passed intro 0741 making New York City the first U.S. city to agree to make phone calls free for people who are incarcerated in city jails. And that's really important because one of the things that a big complaint that comes up is the phone calls. If if someone doesn't have money, how are they supposed to make phone calls? So making those calls free allowed for the guys to keep in communication with people on the outside, which is important because I remember, I can't remember who I heard this from. Honestly, I think it might've been Wendy Williams. And she said, inmates become outmates. And that quote always comes into my head. But, you know, people incarcerated, when they do end up transitioning out into the community, they need to make sure that they still have those connections with family members and friends um, so that when they transition, they have a support system that can help them be successful in the community, depending on, you know, what type of support system that is. But, you know, if it's connecting them with positive people, then to have that support system in the community will make them more successful when they're on the outside. Mail in DC, I know was delayed because they had a shortage of staff in the mail. That's the only way that you have to communicate with people and you don't have people who can put money on your books and you aren't able to make collect calls or in DC they have calling cards that you can buy and you can that money comes from money that's put on your... I did a full research paper on the cost ineffectiveness of being able to maintain a relationship with um, people incarcerated for families specifically, and then specifically women incarcerated. It's damn near expensive, and the least expensive route is obviously writing mail. However, it's very very long and it can be a process because that mail has to get there that mail then has to get searched once it gets there then get to the proper person and then vice versa and it becomes this very long tedious process where even though it's the most cost effective it's not 
the most effective way to keep contact with family members or anyone for that matter. It really just actually ruins the relationship to a point after a while. And in speaking about the um, writing letters in DC, if you had no money on your books, you could send the letter out without an incarcerated person could send the letter out without a stamp and mailroom would see that they had no money and put a stamp on them on it for them. But if you have, if people are going to be released into the community, how successful do you think that they are going to be if they're released into the community that they haven't been able to keep in contact with by any means because they didn't have any money? Exactly. And so, I mean, so New York City does the same thing too with the stamp situation. Um, and it's actually helpful for the staff itself too. So it helps the guys. And now granted, there's rules and regulations to how the free phone calls work. You get like two, I forget, it's like you get a 30 minute phone call, 15 minute phone calls. I don't remember all of the rules and regs because I feel like it changes every 15 minutes. And when I was, when I was working on Rikers, I was walking in the hallway one day and I saw one of the officers and he was like carrying a whole stack of um, children's books. And I was like, what's up with the children's books? Where are you going with those? And he said, um, he said, we're doing this thing where virtually the inmates can read stories to their children. And I thought that that was such I thought that that was such a cool idea. I thought that that was like really innovative. I had never really heard of something like that. And I find that sitting down with your children and reading them a story and interacting with them in that way, that's such a wholesome experience. And to be able to continue to deliver that for their children on one hand, it shows the incarcerated person, it kind of teaches them how to interact with their child and gives them an activity to do with their child. But then on the child's end, it's like, okay, I know that dad's away, but or mom's away, but I get this opportunity on this day, every week or every month or whatever it is, where I get to sit down and have mom or dad read me a book. So there are other programs throughout the U.S. Um, that offer services like that to keep families together while, you know, a parent or even both parents are incarcerated. Um, there is a program called Angel Tree Program. And similar to what they do in DC around Christmas time, um, local church volunteers will purchase gifts and deliver them to children of incarcerated people. But the gifts are delivered in the name of the incarcerated parent. So, you know, you're separated from your mom or your dad because they're incarcerated. And but, you know, you still get a gift from them. So I think that that's really special that they do that. Yeah, that makes, oh, that just makes my heart smile so much. 
And then there's a Virginia-based organization called Assisting Families of Inmates. And they specialize um, in providing programs for children of incarcerated parents and creating opportunities for visiting um, for visiting the incarcerated parents. But then what I like about them is that on the community end, they have children's support groups. So they're not just solely focused on this connection of, you know, visitation between the parent and the child, which is important as long as the child is open to it. But they're also, they also have groups for children so that they can work through whatever traumas or abandonment issues that they have from their their parent being incarcerated and they also have information and groups for parents caregivers school personnel administration and service providers on the unique needs of the children of an incarcerated parent Um, They provide assistance to caregivers with resources that can help with financial, housing, transportation, employment, and other concerns or or family stressors. And they support for healthy family reunification and reintegration when the incarcerated parent is released. And I think that it's so important to make sure that you're not only working with someone who's incarcerated on that side, but you're also working to try to set up the family and the support that's on the community side of it so that when they get out, it's a little bit easier to reintegrate into that family setting, regardless of if they're going to be living with the child and the child's other parent or if they're going to be living outside of the home, but it provides support for the child and then also makes it easy for them to figure out how the family structure is going. So to have that support group on the outside is really important, especially the older a child gets and the more they start to understand, well, not even understand, they start to know because children know a lot more than they understand So they might know daddy's in jail, but not know the side effects and the repercussions of that. So, yeah, I agree. I think that it's important to be as honest as possible with your children and having a support and agency that's able to support you in that way with programs like that. Um, definitely makes that easier because now you're able to tell your child the truth of the situation while also having the support that's going to be able to help your child through coping with whatever emotions are going to come up from knowing that truth. Right. Um, and then in Florida... They have in Florida, in like the Jacksonville area, um, they have an organization called Children of Inmates, and their mission is to keep the lines of communication open between children and their incarcerated parents. And they have two programs that I thought were pretty cool. Um, the first one is called Babies and Brains, and 
basically the children of the incarcerated parents, what they say they are, is that the children of incarcerated parents are twice as likely to develop mental illnesses such as reactive detach, uh, reactive attachment disorder. Um, and they provide early intervention to mitigate the effects of trauma. And they have programs also for the people, for the parents who are incarcerated in order to provide them with tools and knowledge about their children's brain and early development, as well as impacts of trauma so that they can then be empathetic towards what their children are going through by having lost their parent either for a period of time or forever to incarceration. And they also have care coordination, a care coordination team that facilitates home visits to assess the children's developmental milestones as they're in this program. And like I can't stress enough, I really love agencies um, that provide programs that include um, that include community-based resources and support because it can't just be all one-sided, just you know providing services to someone while they aren't incarcerated. They have to be prepared prepared for transition, and they have to be prepared for what they're transitioning to. And I think that a program like this helps them to understand their child and possibly could help them to parent their child better once they get out and also allow for their child to be receptive to that parent coming back and being the parent for them. 100%. It's, it's difficult for everyone involved and everyone needs that support. And if one part of that group doesn't have that support, it's going to affect the entire group. And it's not going to help build that relationship or mend any of the relationships. And it's very important that everyone has some sort of support that can help them grow versus just kind of be angry or not actually work through the feelings. Yeah. And then they also have another program um, that they call bonding visits. Um which I also thought was really cool because they provide free quarterly bonding visits for children and caregivers to spend time with the incarcerated parent. Um, they also have video conference visits, um, but the visit, the bonding visits are between three and four hours and the incarcerated parent and children sit together in a secure room. They read books um, they do puzzles together, do arts and crafts, play games, those types of activities. Um, and after the visits, the children will get back onto the bus and find that there's a stuffed animal in their seat. And instead of going straight home, they're detoured to either a bowling alley or a skating rink to in order to ease the anxieties of separation. So they're not just like, okay, you just saw your parent and now go home and they're just kind of alone to cope with those emotions all by themselves or with their caregiver. So it kind of makes it a little easier to separate for, from seeing that parent. And it also makes it, I think, a fun thing, like a fun and happier experience than something 
that could be dreadful by just, okay, go see your parents, sit at a table or sit behind a glass and talk to them through a phone and then leave and go home. Like as if, you know, that's the norm. As if, you know, you weren't just inside a jail. Right. These are all great things. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, as hard as they try, you know, especially with the pandemic, things don't always work as seamlessly as they want to. But I think that things like this are really well thought out and a lot of agencies could should really take a page from these people's book and maybe model some of the things after them and no not literally as in you know not every situation has to do with visitations or anything but just by like modeling it thinking critically about how you can apply something like this to what it is that your agency is passionate about advocating for but just always remembering that there is more than just the incarcerated person. There is more than just the jail. There is more than just the criminal justice system. There's a whole community that they're going to have to come out to and reintegrate to. And how can we make that reintegration process as smooth as possible for them and their families? Right. So like they talked about the whole reason they wanted to shut down Rikers and move us into the community was to put people closer to their families. Mm-hmm. However, we can do similar things without completely disrupting the entire world mm-hmm. by creating more programs like those. And it's really a shame because these programs are not nationwide. They're just in certain states usually so specific like there are these specifications that these people that are incarcerated need to either adhere to or have to be in this specialized group of people to be able to see their kids and we need more programs that are willing to help these guys and It's true. If they have some kind of family connection, building a relationship even stronger with their children and families, when they go out, they are less likely to reoffend. Programs like that to help people with the trauma, help family members with the trauma that they've experienced in this whole situation of being dragged into this whole situation that they probably didn't really have anything to do with, but now they're involved because someone that they are related to or had children with is now incarcerated. So having programs that help them on this side, because regardless of if the incarcerated person is going to live with them or not, when they come out, if they have kids together, they're going to be in each other's lives when the incarcerated person comes out. So the person on the outside has to have the necessary support and tools and treatment to be able to receive this person back into their lives. Right. Um, in New York, there's, um, there's an agency called Our Children. And for 25 years, they've been serving women and their families. I really um, paid attention to this one out of all the programs that are available because 
I know that, you know, Ashley and I mainly have worked with men and a lot of the experience we have is working with men. And I even feel like in the media, when people talk about incarcerated people, the women are kind of left out. You mostly see the men. So I like that we're focusing in on women here. Um, But for 25 years, they've been serving women and their families in New York City through prison and community-based programs that support them so that they may achieve self-sufficiency. They provide supportive housing, mentoring programs for children, work re-entry programs, playrooms. Um, they had playrooms made at Taconic and Bedford Hills Correctional Facilities for um, the incarcerated people's visits with their children so that it's not like children walking into the standard visitation room and it's not as intimidating. Um, and they also have food pantries. Um, so I know, Ashley, you mentioned that you've done some work with our children. Yes. So, um, when I did my research project on communications and cost effectiveness, it was actually because I had spent a full day at our children. It wasn't the only day I've spent there, but because they are Dominican sisters that run the program, which they actually all have foster licenses So that way they can foster the children of incarcerated women until their mothers get out. Um, And they stay in this place called your mother's house specifically so that when, say, someone at their school asks them where they're staying, they can say my mother's house. And so it doesn't hold that stigma that most foster care placements might hold when a family member is incarcerated, specifically a mother. Um, They do maintain contact. And what I've also really loved uh, working there is that when a mother comes out of incarceration, they don't automatically just throw mother and child together. There are steps that they work up towards to eventually having their own apartment together. Um. It's a really great program. And so on top of all of those other things and the job readiness, they host a daycare center, which I've worked in. And that daycare center mainly hosts the children of incarcerated mothers so that those mothers can go to uh, go to work and gain have gainful employment. But it also integrates the community as well, because community mothers are able to bring their children there. And so it helps the incarcerated women and people from the community come together without that stigma. And then incarcerated women are the ones running the daycare center. I, I just wish that we could have these programs nationwide, statewide. I wish that programs like these that help not only keep these families together, but help them to be successful after their incarcerated person comes out, or even if that incarcerated parent is not going to come out, helps those children and those families be successful by supporting, by providing them with supports, with positive supports. There needs to be more of that. There needs to be these programs statewide, nationwide, There has to be a communication between the people advocating for change and the people who are running 
the jails and running the programs because when you're on the outside and you've never truly been on the inside beyond just getting a tour here or there or maybe just one time for an hour or two, you don't actually know what's going on in there and what they're able to do. So it's like you're standing behind a gate and you're pointing your finger and yelling about, you need to do this for these people and you need to do that, but you don't actually have the knowledge of what can be done. And there has to be, if there's going to be change, there cannot be anger. There has to be communication and a willingness to understand and be flexible. No, you're not going to win every battle, but you may be able to make a little bit of a change. Maybe not exactly the change that you wanted, but you might be able to make a change that will make life better for someone incarcerated or for their family or make it easier for them to transition from incarceration to being out in the community again, reintegrate with their family. And clearly it can be done because these agencies and many other agencies that we have not mentioned have been able to do it. They've been able to communicate and get video visits. They've been able to communicate and get special rooms made so that it's not so apparent for a young child to walk in and be like, yeah, this is definitely a jail. It doesn't make it a scary experiences, a, a scary experience. So with that communication and without being angry and pointing the finger, they've been able to get stuff done and stuff that's really benefited a lot of people. You're never going to make everyone happy. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to ever solve everyone's problems with one bill. And there's always going to be something new that comes up. And it's always ever changing. But that doesn't mean that we don't keep trying to make the small changes. None of us are ever going to fix the whole world. We're not going to fix it in one fell swoop. And like we've talked about before, we can't jump from A to Z and have a solution but we can take steps to get into a better place and that's what we need to start working on and I've even been thinking and even if you do get from A to Z we're gonna have to start a whole new alphabet in a couple years because (laughs) just like you said things are always changing policy is always changing technology is always changing people are always changing their needs are always changing so you may think yes i got from a to z and i i did this but in a in five to ten years we might have to take that apart and do it all over again because regardless the only thing that we can really rely on is that time is always changing and What may work today may not work in five, 10 years. It may not work in five, 10 weeks. It might not. We need more resources like these programs that we talked about that are doing this work to make sure that the family that's kind of been left behind is good. Make sure that the incarcerated person is understanding of what their family is going through and is um, 
and is gaining the insight and the tools needed to reintegrate with that family or to just be someone that can be involved in the family even from where they are incarcerated and make the most of their visits and make the most of their conversations with their children and the children's caregivers. It's really not that hard if you would just let it happen and work towards it. It's really not something that that's, that's that difficult, honestly. Well, you definitely need the resources and the funding and I, I just really look forward to programs like this expanding and becoming more and more common. That's it for us today. Follow us on Instagram at Jailbird Chronicles. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany. Join us next week on Jailbird Chronicles. Lights out, jailbirds. Beep, beep.